0: Well, hey, everybody, Are we doing good this morning? Good, very good. It is good to be together. My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and before we get into the message today, I wanted to just highlight an opportunity that we have. The first Sunday of every month It's actually happening right now. It happens during our eleven o'clock service, and that's our "Start Here" class. And so I know Danny mentioned uh, we got a lot of new families joining us in this season, especially as we head back into another school year. And so if you are new here, uh, if you kind of love this place and you're asking yourself, "What's next? Like, where do I get started from here?" We made it really simple. We called the class "Start Here" just for you. So. We offer that class the first Sunday of each month during the 11 o'clock service, Uh, so our next one will be on September 3rd. You can text CONNECT to 77453 and get signed up for that there. But I want to encourage you, uh, if you are new, you'll you'll hear about who we are as a church, you'll hear about some of the opportunities we have, but most importantly, you're going to meet some people as well, and that is uh, what we think is is really important is to have some relationships and some connections. So here's what I want to do today. I'm just going to jump right in. We're gonna read Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. And what's interesting about these two verses is they attach to actually someone that we sang about in that second song during worship. It uh, really attaches to the life of Abraham. At the beginning of summer, I taught a message about Abraham and some of the principles that we learn in his life when we're walking through seasons of change. But Abraham's life and the significance of Father Abraham the fact that God said all of the descendants of his people would come through this man, Abraham, all hinge on these two verses that we're about to read. These two verses have extreme historical significance. And I think that might jump out to you as we read these. So let's read this here, Genesis 11, verse 31 and 32. Now, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, that surprised you a little bit. I know if you're like me, you're looking for something really bad, like. Terah, the father of Abraham, kicked 500 puppies on his way there, and he's really bad, and that didn't happen. And maybe you go to the good side, and you're like, oh, Terah started this livestock business and was the richest man ever, but we don't read that either. What we read about Terah, the father of Abraham, is that he journeyed, that he had a goal, a, a dream to enter the land of Canaan. And halfway, geographically, halfway along that journey, he settles. Now, I love that word settles. Moses writes the book of Genesis and throughout the book, as he begins to speak of other people, other people throughout Genesis, when they live in a city, he simply says they lived there and they died there, but Moses specifically says here that Terah settles. He settles for this halfway mark. He settles in this city that's halfway to His dream. Now, we don't know why Tara settles. We don't know what kept him from continuing that journey. But I think we all know why we settle. I think each of us in this room, we came here today and you have different things that you're trying to accomplish in your life. You've got kiddos that you're raising. And you're trying to raise them to be great kids who honor God and love people well. You may be in a relationship, you're married, and your marriage, you want it to be a great marriage, but it takes some hard work, and you're doing everything you can to stay in that fight. Maybe you have a dream to start a business, something that you've been passionate about since you were younger, but somewhere along the way, you may have settled on the job you have, and it's kind of sucking the soul out of you. As you think about your own marriage, maybe it's not necessarily that it's bad, but maybe you're just kind of making it right now, and a win in your marriage is that you both get to the end of the day and you didn't fight. Those kids you're trying to raise, maybe they're not the best kids ever, but as long as you can get them to bed without yelling at them more than twice, then you're feeling like you're doing a pretty good job, right? Just me? Okay. The point is, is we all know what it feels like to settle. We all have some area in our life where we've abandoned our dreams. We've left the journey, the destination we were going for and settled with what I actually think is worse than kicking 500 puppies or starting some big business that I think we've all gotten comfortable with saying it's good enough. As we look at these passages today, And eventually, we'll get to the life of Jesus. I want us to leave this room today with some energy, with a new outlook on the dreams that you have, but let's not be silly here, that God has probably placed in your heart. With the things that you've started with your own kids and your family, the people you're trying to develop your kids to be, and You've gotten so busy, you may have said, well, they're good enough for now. I want us to leave today knowing the power that we have ultimately because of Jesus to be able to get to our destination. I don't want you to end up at the end of this year, especially at the end of your life, and you saying, well, I made it halfway and that was fine. So what's interesting about this story is right after verse 32, we get to Genesis 12, and this is kind of the famous start of the story of Abraham. It's when God tells Abraham to leave his home and to continue to travel on, that he's going to like, make his descendants like the sand on the shore, like the stars in the sky. He gives Abraham this huge dream. And eventually we get to the book of Exodus, to Moses and God's people, and the idea of trying to get them to this promised land that is located in Canaan. Now, like I said, we don't know why Terra left the city of Ur to go to Canaan, but what we can assume because of the geography of this area is that Canaan would have been a great place to live. That area would have been located next to what we know as the Mediterranean Sea now, which is, that means that there was good travel and trade. It meant that there was a good source of food. We also know that Ur was on the other side of what we know as the Arabian Desert. And so they were living on the edges of a desert and traveling to a more fertile land, which back in this time, everyone needed to plant and farm something for their family. So it makes sense why Terah had this dream, or maybe God gave it to him, to go to the land of Canaan. It makes sense that that would have been a better setup, not just for himself, but especially for the generations behind him. But the question that we have to ask, the question we ask ourselves, is then what makes us settle? What makes us quit halfway through? Well, what's interesting is a few hundred years after this moment in the book of Joshua, we have Joshua talking to the people of Israel and he recalls some history for them. He starts to go through all the genealogy of their people and he starts here in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 with Terah. And listen to what he says. He says, From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Well, there it is. We don't know exactly why Terah stopped halfway, we don't know why he traveled to Haran and quit there, but we know that somewhere along the way, he got distracted and began to serve other gods. Now, the problem that I have, like probably most of us, is when I read these sort of stories in the Old Testament and I hear about these little g-gods, I always think, well, that's not gonna be me, right? Like, I'm not gonna start serving the sun god or the rain god or some god I read about in my history book. And and you probably aren't either, but the gods that we end up serving, the little g-gods, you might use the word idols, are the gods of comfortability, the gods of security, For me personally, it's the God of easy. I've got three kids, five and under. I'm looking for everything to be much easier in my life. This past Thursday, we had our encounter service and i uh, it's our back to school encounter service and I talked about our oldest, Daisy. She's five. She's starting kindergarten this Thursday and uh, and I'm actually excited for it. It's gonna be great. And I know I've shared about our youngest son, Noah and uh, the things he's gone through, the miracles that we've seen in his life. But I always feel bad because I leave out our middle child, Lucy, old Lucy Joe! Do I have any middle children in the room? You raise your hand. Sorry that you get left out. But also, God bless your parents because y'all are the crazy ones, right? (laughs) Y'all are crazy. Listen, Lucy Joe, she's going to be three in about a month. We are now in the stages of potty training. Now, I'm going to pause you right there, okay? Because I have the books. I've listened to all the podcasts. We did it with Daisy. It worked out just great. Lucy, I think, hates me. (laughs) So when I say we're trying to potty train her, me and and my wife Serena, we we are trying to potty train her. But when she goes to school, she is potty trained. When she goes over to a friend's house, it's great. This girl has not used the potty in our home, the home she lives in, with her loving family not one time. At school, she's been using the potty for two months. Like, uh, the teacher's like, hey, no more pull-ups, we're good. I'm like, what? So at this point, I'm starting to just be offended personally. Like, there's some reason she's after us. Now, Now, hear me. Like, the significance of potty training, it's big. It's part of the development of a kid. If she gets potty trained now or a few months from now, that may not change a lot in her life. But what I'm starting to realize, and I'm seeing it in Daisy, who's now about to start kindergarten, is that the small things that we do with our kids, right? the habits that we begin to build with them, the hard work that we put in with them to learn new things, to develop skills, the conversations we have where we answer tough questions, all of this is building something inside of them that sets them up not just to be a part of society in a helpful way, but really to like love God and love people best. And what we've struggled with, me and Serena, we've talked about it over and over this whole summer, is that we've just taken the easy route. We've said, well, we, we're gonna travel this weekend, so we gotta push it back. Oh, we got family coming to town this weekend, so we'll just push it back again. Oh, we'll try this one day, but you know the gummy bears aren't working anymore, so let's just figure it out later. It seems so elementary, but the fact is this, like the little things, the, the small decisions we make can end up having lasting consequences, good or bad. And the fact is, like potty training is, is fairly simple in the grand scheme of life. But the opportunity that even I have as a dad to push all the distractions away and to say, hey, Lucy, we're gonna do that this weekend, I want to focus on you, baby. I know we got the other kids. I know we got stuff, but we're going to accomplish this together. It builds something in her. It starts a conversation. It starts her understanding that she can do hard things. And we want that for our kids. We want them to be resilient. I think about Daisy starting kindergarten, and I want her to be a compassionate and a kind kid. I want her to be respectful of her teachers and her friends. Because I know those sort of habits and principles will settle into her, and as she gets older and goes into middle school, and I was a student pastor, right? We, we deal with the mean girl phase. I want her not to be a mean girl. When she graduates high school and begins to go off on her own, no longer super close to mom and dad in proximity, like I want her to be confident in what she believes and what she believes about herself. But all of that starts. By us especially, by me as dad saying that I'm not going to bow down to the God of easy. I'm going to put the hard work in to help build something with her. As you think about your marriage, as you think about your dreams, as you think about the business that you have wanted to start, whatever your promised land is that you want to get to, what's the little G God that's getting in your way? Where, where are you settling? Where's your heron? The place where you've said, well, this is good enough, even though this isn't really the destination. And what would it look like for you to call that out and say, man, I'm not going to bow down to the God of easy. I'm not going to bow down to the God of fear, to the God of comfortable. I'm going to do what's hard. I'm gonna say yes to things that seem bigger than me because the fact is, is those small decisions you make will have a lasting impact far beyond even your kids. It happened for Tara. Abraham could have gotten to that land sooner. He could have gone through less of a headache that we see throughout his life, but he had to start a little behind because his dad Didn't finish. Listen, I don't want to guilt trip you, please. I'm with you in this. But the fact is, we have an opportunity, not even just with our own family, we have an opportunity as a church family to set the tone for every student and kid who's coming up behind us. We have an opportunity as a church family to do what Jesus said was most important for us to love God and love people the same here in our community. But it's gonna take us getting out of good enough and following what Jesus is calling each of us to. We all have our, our Heron moment, the middle of the journey moment, the moment that says this could be good enough and we could settle here. And Jesus had that same moment himself if you have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen too. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 26. This is the story of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he's about to be put on trial and eventually crucified on the cross. To this point of Jesus' life, he's done some great things. He's performed many miracles. He's taught thousands of people. He's trained up these disciples to follow after him. He's at his heron the point where he could say, hey, this was good enough. He gets to this point of distress where he could really say, hey, God, I'm good. Like, take me home now. And I want us to jump in here in the middle of where Jesus finds himself, distressed and anxious. In verse 36 here in Matthew chapter 26, it says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I want us to pause there. Jesus' humanity is on full display. He has been telling his disciples, you read throughout the books, the, the gospels, throughout Matthew, that his time is going to come one day, not just when he will die, but when he will be killed. He's told them this is going to happen. He knows the plan. He's known it from the beginning. But his humanity is on display here when he comes to this garden, distressed and anxious and worried And asking God, if there's a way out of this, I'll take it. But Jesus models something for us so important. These next few words are so important because it is the chain reaction that changed everything in our history. In the end of verse 39, he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will But as you will. How do we beat the little g gods? How does chase stomp on the god of easy? I say, hey, God, not my way, but your way. How do I fight against being the tired, angry dad who just turns into the boot commander and says, kids, get in line, do this, do that, go to bed? I slow down. I get less busy and I say, God, not not my way, your way. And your way looks like love and compassion. Your way looks like slowing down and getting on their level. How do I do this in my marriage? Like if I want a marriage where we don't celebrate not fighting, but we actually are partners building a legacy together, it requires me to ask hard questions. It requires me to make space with my wife to be connected to invest in a babysitter and go out with her and be a good husband to her. But that's not easy. But God, not my way, your way. And we know this was Jesus's Heron moment, the middle of the road, the middle of the journey. Because we skip down to verse 52 and this is the famous part where Peter pulls out his sword and I actually love this because Matthew says a disciple did it. John, who's got that rivalry with Peter and and his account says, oh, it was Peter. He snitched on him. But Matthew writes this, and Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then though will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? In this destiny-defining moment, Jesus tells him, I have my out. I have the idol. I have the little G God that could be easy, that could be more comfortable than this, that could be safer. But not my will, his. And just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna... Wrap up our time together by singing this song. We're gonna take communion together. And communion is something you can do in your own home. We do it here at church. It's that piece of bread and that little juice, and it's a reminder Jesus' sacrifice, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was poured out for our sins. When we take communion, we have an opportunity to be in unity with other believers, to share in the suffering of Jesus, but also share in the blessing of being a part of God's family. Most of the time, we'll take communion together, but today I want to do it a little bit different. I want you to take a moment, and before you, sometimes I'm tempted to do it just kind of mindlessly, eat the bread and drink the juice real quick. I want you to just take a moment and reflect. I want you to think about the dreams God has put in your heart, the things you're trying to build, the family you're trying to raise. And I want you to think about that little G God that stands in your way. Where's your excuse? Where's your out? Is it that you don't have enough time? Is it that you're too tired? Is it that your dreams feel too big, like you're not qualified for it? You're probably not, which means you need someone and you need him. And before you take that juice and that bread, before you enter into that moment, I want you to ask Jesus to help you choose his way over your own. I want you to call out that little G God. For me, it is the God of easy and say, Jesus, help me not take the easy way, the shortcut help me put in the hard work to do everything you've called me to do have your moment of prayer and then take the bread and drink the juice and do it in that order cuz sometimes the bread's a little dry <laughs> and as you take that and as you sing the words of this last song make this a declaration we're throwing it back a little bit simple words of i surrender Everything in my life, every idol I hold on to, all the good stuff, Jesus, I'm gonna surrender it all to you. Have your way in my life. Because the moment today that you make that decision on a Sunday in August of 2023 could be a destiny-defining moment that changes the life of your kids, that changes the life of our church family, that changes our community. Your yes to God can bring about the impossible in your life. So I'm gonna ask you to grab your communion and stand with me and I'm gonna pray for us. And then we'll enter this moment together and we'll spend some time taking communion and worshiping before we leave. So let's pray. God, I am so grateful for our church family. I'm grateful for these moments, these opportunities that we have to just pause. (laughs) to reflect. God, I'm thankful that the hard work we're putting in is not just to make our life better, but it leaves behind a legacy for the generations behind us. God, I'm thankful that even this communion today can remind us of the power that we have available through your spirit that we can do everything you have called us to do. God, I'm thankful for the families in this space today, for the dreams in every person in this room, God, that you have given them. The promised lands that you're calling them to. The things that we're working for, God, would you give us the strength, the energy, and the wisdom we need to continue on our journey. To not stop halfway, but to finish the race set before us. Speak to our hearts in this moment, Lord. Help us to call out what has gotten in the way between you and us. God, and help us to leave this space today back on the road again to our promised land. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.